Podcast One and Forbes present Mentoring Moments with Denise Rastari, a show where women you may never meet will become your mentors. Join Denise in her New York City apartment and tap into her conversations with successful women who are dropping the V-bombs. That's right, they're getting vulnerable. Now, here's your host, Denise Rastari. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to my apartment here in New York City. When I was dating my husband, Louis, we went on a vacation to the Turks and Caicos, and it's just beautiful. It's about 500 miles southeast of Florida in the Atlantic Ocean, and we're at the hotel. There's a guy sitting at a desk, and he is selling excursions to go snorkeling. So I don't swim. I'm not really paying much attention to him, but my husband does swim, and I've heard him talk about snorkeling and something that he would want to do, and I thought, you know, we should just stop by and look at it. And my husband's like, but I don't want to go without you. And I'm like, well, let's just stop by and let's check it out. So we do. And the guy who is behind the desk is talking to us and he's saying how we can go snorkeling. To which I tell him, you know, that's great, but I don't swim. And a funny part of the story is my husband then, the Lewis, who we were dating, says to the guy, the guy says, well, you know, all you have to do is float. You don't have to know how to swim. And Lewis says, yeah, she can't do that either. She doesn't like to give up control. (laughs) which is something that we laugh about a lot now because it's so true. And, you know, the guide's like looking at us like, okay, buddy, I feel really sorry for you that, you know, that you're with this woman who does not like to give up control. So the guy says, you know, but we can get you a guide that will just hold your hand. Lewis can go on his own and you will have a guide to hold your hand and take you snorkeling. So you don't have to do anything but hold this guide's hand. So I'm like, okay, I I can do that. So we get on the boat and we go out to the reef and my guide is there. He's standing in the water, but I am so nervous. I don't realize that he's standing in the water. I mean, I see him, but I'm not getting the idea that if he's standing in the water, the water cannot be that deep. So I'm instructed to jump off the boat and the guide will catch me. So I'm really nervous, but I jump off the boat and this guide catches me. And I am clinging on to him for dear, I mean, dear life. My arms are around his neck. My legs are around his waist. I'm sure it was, a, it was a really photo op moment going on there. And all he keeps saying is three feet deep, three feet deep. But I am so nervous. I don't hear a word he's saying until suddenly it registers with me. And I say three feet deep. The water is three feet deep. And I'm like so scared that I am clinging on to this guy for dear life. And it was at that moment, and I I don't think it was conscious, but it was at that moment where I looked around and saw how beautiful everything was around me and how the ocean just goes on forever and ever. And you can just see all the opportunities in the world. That I had that moment and I said to myself, I just need to do this. I need to get out of my own way, and I need to become comfortable with the uncomfortable. That this is something that is so uncomfortable for me, but if I let it get in my way, I will never experience this moment in time. And had I, and we went and he held my hand and I even let go of his hand after a while that I felt so confident. So it was just that getting your toe literally into the water 
and seeing that, you know, you really can do it. But I would have missed the reefs. I would have missed the fish. I would have missed all the beautiful colors. And I would have missed that coming out of the water and knowing that I did it. And I don't want to say that, you know, I think so often we say we can do anything. And I I do want to believe that to a certain extent. We can do anything. But sometimes I think it's even easier on ourselves if we think we can do everything we want to do when we know that you can come out the other side. And I knew that I could come out the other side. I just knew it. So that is my mentoring moment for today. And now I'm so excited because I want to tell you about, well, I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to introduce her. My guest today is Ingrid Vanderbilt. And I say I'm not going to introduce her because one of the things I have heard so many times from young women and men, and when I was a guest lecturer at Stanford, I heard this a lot from the students, that they don't know how to tell their stories. That they, people come to me all the time and say, how did you become such a great storyteller? And I owe a lot of that to my dad. He was a great storyteller. I grew up with it. But it's really the power of owning your story, of owning who you are. So what I love to do is have women tell their stories. You own your story, tell your story. And Ingrid, that's what I want to ask you to do. Can you tell your story in 60 seconds or less? Tell us who you are. (laughs) Well, first of all, hi, Denise. And it's so great to be here with you. And I loved hearing your mentoring moment. I'm like, oh my gosh, if you ask me that question, I can't wait to share because it totally builds off of what you just said. That was so yummy and good. And thank you. And now now my ego is totally intimidated because I, I heard what a great storyteller you are. And I hope I can do even a quarter as good as you. (laughs) So anyways, well, you said welcome from your apartment there in New York City, and I will say welcome to my hotel room here in Dallas, Texas. So uh, my name is Ingrid Vanderveld, and I'm the founder and CEO of a global organization called Empowering a Billion Women by 2020. For short, uh, we go by EBW 2020, and we provide the women with the tools, technology, and resources that they need to succeed as leaders and as entrepreneurs. And our goal is to really continue building into becoming the number one financial empowerment community for women leaders and entrepreneurs of purpose and impact. And that really is what differentiates our uh, group of women, our tribe, if you will, all over the globe, that the women who are in the sisterhood of EBW, they want to do really well in every sense of the word because they are so driven by a higher purpose and they're here on this planet to make their impact. And so uh, I often say I grew up thinking I'd be a missionary and I'm so blessed to uh, live out my dream as a missionary today and in, in this kind of way. So uh, that is what I do. I also run Vanderbilt Global Investments. We make investments in women, uh, primarily technology companies that really fit into the EBW 2020 uh, mission. The only way that we're able to reach these billion women is through being very innovative with our use of technology and mobile devices and our global platform so that we can, in fact, reach women both in developed countries like places like the U.S. and uh, Europe and then places like um, in developing countries all over the world. So that is who I am. My background is as a technology entrepreneur. I've built and sold a number of different tech 
tech companies in a number of different industries, but the common denominator, again, is that they were all technology-related. I'm also a former business television host with CNBC, so I was very blessed and honored to create and host the first original primetime series um, with CNBC, and that just that show just gave me an extraordinary opportunity to meet all kinds of amazing and interesting people all over the globe who were sharing their stories of being CEOs and overcoming challenges and how they got to where they did. So I learned lots of mentoring moments, and I can't wait to uh, dig in with you here today. So thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you. And your experiences are so fabulous. And I know that road wasn't such a straight road and it had some wine. It was windy and there were lots of bumps in the road and and we'll get to those. But I want to kick it off with your mentoring moment. What is that story that was that aha moment, something that happened in your life that really changed what you're doing? Yeah, and thank you for asking that. And I'm also glad you said we're going to dig into some of the rough patches because I, I will say, and just to put it out there and uh, before we even dive into everything, that I will, I w- this is not my mentoring moment, but I think it's a fun, st- quick story to tell that I'll never forget. I was literally in a green room. This is just a few years ago, maybe four years ago, about to walk on stage in front of 2,000 women. And the person who was handling me said, you know, Ms. Vandervelt, we're so excited to have you here and I can't wait to hear from you. Um, and she said, you know, but I do want to tell you that a lot of these women watch you and they think, oh my gosh, you know, at the time I was the entrepreneur in residence for Dell and I was overseeing a hundred million dollar fund. And, you know, there's lots of these big, amazing things. And she said, you know, they're just trying to figure out how do I keep my lights on? You know, how do I build my cupcake shop? How do I build my t-shirt company? And I looked at her And I guess this is a mentoring moment, but I literally trashed what I was going to say, literally as I'm walking up the stage, on stage, and I got on stage and I said, thank you, dear God, that this, let me tell you what just happened. And I told the story of what this woman just said. And I said, you know, the entire speech that I've worked to prepare for all of you, I said, I just threw it out the window. And what I'd like to tell you is that I have been broke and homeless literally lost everything I had because I I was building a company many years ago. Now, thank God it's in the rear view mirror. I am a testament that anything is possible, but I had put everything I had owned into this business that I so believed in. And I could not get the support and the financing in time. And at that stage in my career, I just, I didn't know financial literacy. I wasn't financially literate in the way that I am you know, have, have built expertise around now. And so I literally lost everything. And had it not been for a girlfriend of mine, Alexis Ferguson, so I always talk about everybody needs an Alexis in their life, and we also need a sisterhood, our tribe around us to support us. Had it not been for her that saw me in my car, saw what was going on, and I always say I could have gone home to my parents. I grew up in a great family. That's part of what gave me that belief in the first place that I could build. But I was so embarrassed and humiliated that I just didn't want anybody to know. And had it not been for her who saw me in my car and said, you know what, Ivy? Ivy's my nickname. You come and live with us and you can just fake it until you make it. And I literally had it not. She saved my life. And I spent two weeks drinking way too much wine, balled up like a little baby in a fetal (laughs) position, never wanting to get out of bed. But she gave me that safe place 
to regroup and then make that choice that I could either decide this was my life going forward, that I was going to be broken homeless, or I could decide to live out that global missionary calling that I knew I had when I was a child and realize that this was part of the journey, that the only way I'd be able to reach and connect and do things with, especially women um, in the jungles of Uganda, for example, that I had to go through my own path and I had to figure out how to emerge on the other side. And this is part of why I loved your mentoring moment so much. And, um, and I did, I, I learned that I learned step by step. It was very painful at first. I didn't want to do it, but I learned how to take those baby steps to take one step at a time. And, you know, not everything worked and some things didn't, but I learned how you emerge from absolute nothingness and really what felt like, you know, I was suicidally depressed. I was at the end of my rope. And from there to sit and have the opportunities that I have today to run another $100 million fund, to run a business that is impacting millions and millions of women that has reached over 800 million uh, worldwide is just an extraordinary journey. And I love that I now have a way to connect and help other women do the same. So thank you for saying that. So that, that was actually a mentoring moment, but I'll give you a real quick story on the mentoring moment. But I think it's important to say that because for anyone who's listening to this that might be really at their uh, rope's end, or this might be one of those lucky podcasts that they come across and it's just at the right time, the right place. I'm here to tell you, you are in the right place and the right time, because I know, Denise, you have an extraordinary story yourself. And for you and I to share some of these tips today is just such a gift. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We've been there. Yes. And I, and I, I want to hear your mentoring mom, but I have a question that I think so often we fail and we may not be homeless, maybe almost homeless, but feeling that I, I can't go on, I don't know how to go on. And often we tell the story of it is our fr- it's our friends that really helped us or our family members. So I have a question. What is it that your friend and your tribe, what did they do that helped you? Thank you for asking that. And, you know, the mentoring moment, when we get to that, it actually all ties in together because there's so much learning here. Um, and, and I love hearing the overcoming these stories because, again, that's where we just learn so much um, about so many things. And for, for me, um, the thing that, first of all, that Alexis did for me, um, number one, was I, I just have to say, honestly, she just gave me a safe place to rest my head and to um, take a deep breath and realize, okay, okay. So I, I was in my car. Now I'm here. Okay, I'm here. The, the second thing she did, though, and I, I really encourage women as we continue to go down our own paths, whether you, you know, when you start making some progress, whether you're just a few steps ahead or you've made millions of dollars, whatever it is, we really have an opportunity to pay it forward and help our sisters that are coming up behind us. Because what she did for me and what I I often envision today is, you know, she was that angel, if you will, that believed in me when I couldn't believe in myself. I think that is so critical when people, because you need that sometimes. 
we do. We, we all need that. And, you know, everybody, whether you're a man or woman, we all need it. But especially for women, you know, where we're for the first time ever in so many cases beginning to emerge out of the historical background of, you know, I, I, I never, people ask me about the glass ceiling a lot and I say, I get it. I understand it. But I, I don't care to talk about the glass ceiling because the reality is history is history. It was what it was. And, you know, God bless all the guys who are here that are just waiting for us to show up. You know, finally, the way our, our world is evolving, you know, opportunities are really emerging for women for the first time um, in so many ways. And now it's it's our opportunity as women to just show up. But gosh, it is super scary when you look around the room and you're the only one that looks like you and you know, oftentimes, and we're figuring this out. We, we haven't historically had the good old boys club where you do just sort of look out for each other and, you know, make things happen, whether it's running a company or running for office or becoming an investor, whatever it is, you know, women are doing this for the first time so that as we continue to learn and grow, it's just so critically important to share that knowledge because there's more than enough room for all of us to thrive. And that support that Alexis gave me starting at the most basic level of recognizing that I was completely like had lost every ounce of belief in myself. And she gave me that little tiny spark. And for women, that's oftentimes all we need is that little spark to say, you know what? I see in you what you've forgotten you have in yourself. And let's go there. And I'm, I'm going to support you and believe in you and be here for you and encourage you when you can't, when you don't even believe in yourself. And that is so incredibly valuable. So she did that and then and then she was awesome. She went and brought me to margaritas and you know would uh, get me out of bed and say, "Come on, come on, let's do this, let's do this. You got it." And then you know, I love that she celebrated me when I started getting little wins back. And you know, when you are doing what Mary Kay Ash says, "Fake it till you make it," which we as entrepreneurs have to do every single dang day. But man, when you have nothing and you're going out and projecting that you're all that, that's pretty tough. So it's really awesome and wonderful to have someone around you. And now, you know, with EBW, that's our tribe, our communities, are women who do this for one another every single day. And it's extraordinary to see it at this scale and at this level with women of all different backgrounds. It's just so important. And I love how Alexis, I love the whole story, but I love how how Alexis just hit on the basic need. I think so often we think it's got to be, we have to do something big. We have to take you out. Let's go to a Broadway show. Let's do this. Let's entertain you. And, but it's not, it's that you just need to be, and you need to know that someone loves you and that you're not alone. Yeah. And isn't that incredible? And, you know, even today, I'll never forget, you know, I, I sit on some boards at the United Nations Foundation and uh, am, am involved with the UN. And it's extraordinary some of the people at a global level that I have the opportunity to interact with. And it's so much fun. And one of my, I call him my brother from another mother, Sergio de Cordova. So he sits on my boards. I sit on his and he's really active with the UN as well. And I'll never forget, I was having this like struggle moment. And this is probably a year and a half ago or so. And I was really struggling with something. I don't even remember what it was, but Sergio called me up and he said, Hey, Ivy, I just want you to know 
if you just need to give someone a call in total confidence and just have a shoulder to cry on and an ear to scream into or cry into, he said, I just want you to know I'm here and I'm all, you just call me and I'm here. And I was like, thank you, dear God, because the dudes are doing it now too. You know, That's great. Doing, yeah. And they're doing it at like the highest levels and it is so much fun. You know, I can sit in a meeting with Sergio and, you know, the heads of the United Nations, for example, and then we can go behind the scenes and have him say something like that to me. And it's like, this is how we build together at all different levels. You've got to have those safe places to have those authentic conversations. It's so, it's so true. And now I just can't wait. If these weren't your mentoring moments, I can't wait to hear what your mentoring moment is. <laughs> well, thanks. You know, and as I said, that mentor, I have so many every day. I have mentoring moments. I really, gosh, I'm humbled every day when I think I have figured things out and then certainly something happens and I think, oh my gosh, okay, wow, isn't this neat? You know, we just learned something new. But I will say, you know, to build off what you were saying and what we're even talking about now is when I was building my first company, which is now many years ago. But, you know, I'll never forget being told, I, I was about, that company was about to run out of money and not make it. And, and I, I could look around everywhere and I could not find other women tech CEOs. And in my 20s, um, you know, what 20-something doesn't want to show up in the world and think that you're looking great and sounding great and all this, you know, it's important for us. Well, one of my advisors, I was struggling to raise this money and I wasn't getting it done. And one of my advisors said, you know what, Ivy, I'll, I'll, why don't we go have a coffee and I'll, I feel like I really need to tell you what I think is happening here. I said, great, that would be wonderful. And we went to have coffee and he said, you know what, you just do not look like, act like, sound like, or talk like any of the CEOs that the investors are used to funding. And, and as your advisor and as somebody who cares about you, I, I really need to just tell you, I don't think you're going to get this done. And if I was really being, you know, helpful to you, I would tell you, I think you should probably pack it up and, and try to go find yourself a job before it gets too late because you will not be able to put, put money together. It just is not going to happen. And I looked at him and just literally I am full of fear and I'm full of disbelief and I'm full of utter just scared out of my brains. You know, I had asked my parents to put money in. They had mortgaged a house, you know, all this stuff. I had people that were working for me. I thanked him. I left that meeting. I got into my car. I bawled my eyes out. I drove home with the windows open, just bawling my eyes out. I never even admitted this until just a few years ago. And I got home and I thought, this cannot be. And, and I'm a fighter. And so when I got home, the fighter came out of me and I, I literally said, screw this. And I said, if, if I'm not going to get funded because I don't look like, act like, sound like, or talk like any of the CEOs are used to funding, then I'm just going to like man up and, and try to be like one of the dudes. So I literally cut off all my hair. I went and bought some IBM dark blue business suits, like man suits. And I went and bought a pair of glasses. I stopped wearing makeup. And I literally tried to dude up and it was like the worst, but also the most amazing experience of my life because all of a sudden I would, I am like, I cannot dude up, you know, I have like, you know, 
like some of my friends say you have, you have a boy brain because, you know, I love to get in there, fight and figure out all the mathematics of things and all that. But those are girl brain too. But I'm proud to show up, you know, and look feminine. And I think all of us as women should do that. But at that time, I literally like lost my confidence. I looked horrible. I would go into these meetings like just so just ridiculously not confident and embarrassed that it it was horrible. And had it not been for my mentor, George Kosmetsky, who God bless that man's soul, George Kosmetsky was in his eighties at the time. He also mentored Michael Downey, mentored me. And he told me, and this totally ties into your story, Denise, about talking about, you've got to walk through and come out the other side and getting comfortable being uncomfortable. And I went, <gasps> When you said it, because I teach this all the time, if you're going to be successful and you are going to be successful, we all have to learn how to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Because Dr. Kosmetsky was the one who basically said, you're almost there. Stick it through. Stick it through. And this was a self-made multi-billionaire who, by the way, could have written me a check any way along the way, and he wasn't. And he kept saying, keep at it. Keep figuring it out. Blah, 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 blah. And I literally, like the company was just about out of business, and I was on a flight from Knoxville, Tennessee to Austin, Texas, I started praying like crazy. And I was saying, God, I now look like a man. I am totally lost my confidence. I'm not getting this thing funded. I really need help. Please, please help me. And literally like a lightning bolt on that flight, the vision of how this company needed to work and progress forward came very clear on the flight. I literally diagrammed out the business model, all that stuff that I had been working on for nine months onto a napkin sketch. The plane lands. I called Dr. Kosmetsky and I said, Dr. K, I need to come and see you right now. And he took, he took this meeting with me. I showed him the napkin sketch. He called the attorneys that day. Uh, by the next day, I won't even go into the whole story, but the long story short of it is, um, I made, he said, I'm going to schedule some meetings with you, with, with an investor. Uh, can you get this, this napkin sketch diagram ready in a PowerPoint? And I said, yeah, of course. And I started you know, mocking it up in a PowerPoint. I stayed up all night, had the meeting with this investor, and one of my colleagues was there. And the investor, after he heard my dog and pony pitch, he shaked my hand and said, thank you very much. Uh, I'll be in touch. And, my co- and he left. And I said to my colleague, oh my gosh, you know, I need this cash. Why is he leaving? I figured it out. You know, it's divine guidance, blah, blah, blah. Dr. Kosmetsky says it's all going to work. The colleague says to me, hang tight. Let me give him a call. That colleague calls me back and later in the day and he said, IV, I've got good news and bad news. And I said, well, okay, tell me the bad news. And he said, the bad news is he's not funding the company. And I am freaked out. And I said, well, what's the good news? And he said, the good news is he wants to buy that napkin sketch for two and a half million dollars. <laughs> That's great. Now, yes. Now, the, the quick wrap up to that is this. Like, please, if somebody's going to give you two and a half million dollars for like a napkin sketch, like sell it. You're going to come up with another awesome idea. Like do it. But at that time, I was so out of my mind, you know, fuel, full of ego. Like, okay, I figured it out. We can get this done. So I actually said to him, I said, call that investor and tell him that he has one day to decide. And if he does not fund this company, that he is out. I literally was out of my mind. I was broke. Next day, that investor shows up with a $250,000 check. I called Dr. Kosmetsky and I said, I got my first $250,000 check. And Dr. Kosmetsky said, um, okay, I'll be back. He picks up the phone 
He called the next investor, the next investor, the next investor. Two weeks later, I had raised $7 million. And it's all because I had a mentor who saw that I was walking through the fire. I was getting comfortable being uncomfortable. I had manned up, which lot totally lost my confidence. And he wanted to see, was I going to merge out of this? Was I going to come into my fullest self again? And was I going to be able to walk through and emerge on the other side and come back to my feminine self, own that place and be able to keep moving forward in trust that the right people at the right time are always going to show up and thank God it did. So that was my mentoring moment. It's make sure you have a great mentor around you, get comfortable being uncomfortable. You got to walk through the fire just like the rest of us in those most painful moments. Know you're earning your stripes just like the rest of us. And that now more than ever before, there are mentors and a sisterhood and brothers around all of us who will help you walk through to the other side and all of us go through it. And those are all such fabulous tips, Ingrid. And I think one one of the things you said, too, to add on to those tips is to be yourself, right? When you changed and you manned up. Oh, it was horrible. (laughs) You weren't being yourself at all. Even in doing the podcast, when people will sometimes say to me, like, do you want to be the next Oprah? No, I don't. I mean, yeah, do I want to be the next Oprah? Sure. I'm not going to turn that down. But you know what I'm saying? It's like, I'm not Oprah. I'm not trying to, I don't even want to get that in my head about, do I want to be the next Oprah? So I think so often we look at people and say, I'm going to change to be that way, just like you change to fit in. And when we do that, we just do the exact opposite. We don't fit in at all. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? And it's so, you know, man, we'll try anything. I mean, you know, when, when we're, we're like, gosh, you know, we, we're going to figure this out, but wow, it can be so scary. And I think it's so helpful that if you just get around a few of us who, you know, one of the things I've learned over this past year that I did not know is that 80% of women want to be mentored by other women. The problem is, going back to what we were talking about earlier, is that, you know, because 90% of why we don't start, grow, or scale our ideas or our businesses is lack of confidence. So we don't want to expose that to the world, but we'll expose it to other women. But the problem is there are so few of us who have elevated to, you know, just that physical manifestation of building companies beyond the million dollar or the 10 million or the $100 million mark who have been investors or sat inside the boardroom. And that's where... You know, again, um, certainly from my perspective and the partners at EBW said we have an obligation to the women of the world that we have been enormously blessed in so many different ways that there's no way that Ingrid Vandervelt, for example, can one-on-one mentor all the women that I'd love to be able to mentor. That actually was a very painful thing for me that created the beautiful solution we have today, that when I would go out to these 2,000 women, for example, and give a speech, there'd be lines outside the door of women who would say, could you mentor me? Could you help me? And it was getting painful for me to realize that I did not have a way, I didn't have a scalable system to be able to share this knowledge. And I have a literary agent who's been on me now for two years, get your book out, get your book out. And I made the very distinct decision to say, you know what? I want to go beyond that because even if I put a book out, 
women are still going to need more. They need that invisible mentor behind them. So that's where I dug in and said, you know what, we're going to roll up our sleeves and dig down. You know, we know technology, we're tech experts. So let's use technology to create scalable solutions to meet women wherever they are at, to build that community, the educational, financial literacy pieces, to help give them that support that I wish I had always had. But we as women, like what you're doing right now, Denise, creating this opportunity to share these learnings and um, share this knowledge of all kinds of leaders and women with others, it's just so critically important because that's how we reach down and pull one another forward. Well, and I think what we're both doing is we're scaling and democratizing mentoring. And that's what needs to happen because, as you said, the 80% of women, we know there are all these millennials and even older, want mentors. But there aren't that many people to mentor everyone who needs to be mentored. So we have to figure out how do we reach the masses and scale. And doing it in such a way that is genuine, it's authentic, and it is being who we are. And I think that's one of the big pieces, right, is, in all of this is that takeaway is be who you are. You have your support system that you really need. You need to find a mentor or get into the groups where you can mentor each other. I think, Ingrid, you have the group where you have five women and you talk like once a month on the phone and that is your one of your mentoring ways yes. to mentor. Yes, yes, yes. And, and we're huge fans of creating groups of five. So yeah, now we're, we're eight or nine years into it now. And in fact, one of the women, Carrie Silverstock, she uh, was running her own company and she came over to be the chief administrative officer for EBW now. So we are very tight. But our little group, we called ourselves the Billionaire Girls Club, which I just love because I think all of us were practically like broke at the time we <laughs> created it. We were like, you know what? Put it into vision and let's just make it happen. And it's amazing what you can do when you do that and surround yourself with that. You know, you create and surround yourself with that group of five. We're huge fans of that. We, uh, yes, it's, it's a game changer. And I just love how authentic and true to yourself you are. Speaking of support groups, I want to thank TrueCar for supporting Mentoring Moments. I've been on the True Car site looking for a used car for my daughter. And at first when I went on, I downloaded the app and I went on and I saw the numbers and I really zeroed in on those. Like True Car users save an average of $3,279 off the manufacturer's suggested retail price. And over 2 million cars have been sold to True Car users. And then there, I saw there are 11,000 certified True Car dealers nationwide. So I texted my daughter and I told her about True Car. But later I thought, there's more to buying a car than a great price in numbers. So I thought, what do these 11,000 certified dealers do? So I dug deeper and learned what they do. They work with you to make your buying experience better. They actually help you find the car you want. And that's what makes True Car so great. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit TrueCar.com or download the True Car app to enjoy a better car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states. 
springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Garnishing your ham with pineapple? Pair it with a delicious Chardonnay to make their taste buds swirl. Deviled eggs are even better when paired with a light, dry wine like a bubbly Prosecco or a Pinot Grigio. For me, nothing beats recommending a great wine. And with such an extensive selection, I can help you find the perfect one in your budget. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! Mentoring Moments. Takeaway. While Ingrid and I have been talking, my dear friend Tala Hadavi has been sitting here with me in my apartment. As a matter of fact, we're even sharing a pair of earbuds. How is that for being close? <laughs> and she has been listening because she's going to share her takeaways from the conversation. I find it so interesting after the podcast, I get emails, people saying, here's what I got from the podcast. And sometimes I'm thinking, wow, I mean, I heard that, but that wasn't something that I was my major takeaway. So I'm excited to have Tala here. And just like the thing read, I'm going to ask Tala to introduce herself. So Tyler, it's all yours. Thank you. So um, I'm in a funny place right now in my life as I've just become a mother six and a half months ago and I'm kind of transitioning in back into work and I've been working quite uh, for a few months now. But previous to having my son, I was for six years, I worked at, as, a, as a documentary filmmaker and international broadcaster. I produced a TV show, weekly TV show for International Outlet Voice of America. I also have made two independent documents. And um, and now I'm sort of getting into the back into the swing of things and I'm working on an independent documentary about sexual assault and working on a few other freelance projects. And you've traveled around the world. You speak five languages. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell I'm like one of her biggest fans? She was my daughter's tutor when my daughter was in eighth grade. <laughs> I know. How's that for being cool? Talk about the world and the circles and how we kind of end up in each other's lives again. And it's even a better story than what we're telling you right now, how our lives have gotten back together 10 years later. It's a nice kick in the pants to hear that too and think, wow, look at what these millennials are doing. A working mother and five languages and documentary filmmaker and all of that. And, and you're just getting started. Right, and she was the captain of her of the basketball team at American University, and we can go on and on with. Of course, she was. Yes, of course she was. That's right. Of course she was. So, Tala, what were what are your takeaways? What did you hear? Yeah, so Ingrid, um, as I was kind of uh, researching you a little bit last night, and I was watching your TED speech about making the impossible possible. What really struck me right away as you like started speaking was your confidence on stage, and it's very clear even when you're speaking with Denise, how, how confident you are and like you feel, it, I, I know it's a long journey and you, you, it's been a bumpy ride and a lot of ups and downs, but I'm curious uh, to know, like, what are your fears and insecurities and, and, and what do you do to overcome those insecurities on a daily basis? Because I'm sure even the really confident uh, people have insecurities or maybe oh you don't. Oh, my gosh. No, I, I think if anybody says that they don't, honestly, I, I don't think they're being totally authentic. Uh, I really, you know, and God bless if they don't have any fears. I just, I, I can't imagine that to be because I think, um, I think all of us, you know, when you're innovating, um, by definition, you're going out and creating things that in new ways that might not have been done before. And that's scary. You know, I, I literally wake up many times during the night and sometimes I'm full of 
total fear. And that total fear is, oh my gosh, am I doing enough? Do I have this figured out right? You know, I've got a lot of money involved in EBW. We have investors now, but I didn't raise a penny for EBW until after I had gone and spent three years at Dell as the EIR there and as an executive there and, um, you know, building out, sort of learning the system to build with technology at this scale. And then I went out and funded the platform EBW on its own. And and it wasn't until I felt like I had really mitigated risk and I could see the upside that I began to bring in other people's money. But I, there are all kinds of questions like, you know, gosh, a fundamental one, do people really even care? You know, and it and it sometimes sounds silly because it's like EBW is this growing, thriving community, but it's all kinds of stuff. I mean, I think, you know, those two voices on your shoulders, the one that says, yes, you can do it against all odds, but then that really aggressive one sometimes that gets in and says, you're not good enough. You're, you don't know enough. They're, who are you to think that you can actually make this happen? And, and those can be um, debilitating at times. And so what I've learned to help me get over those and help me. And and I don't know that it's about getting over it. It's about moving through it and moving forward is number one, I recognize it now and I allow myself to really feel it. And then I literally envision it. And I say, you are not invited any longer. You're Mm -hmm. not invited. And I literally imagine grabbing that thought concept and off my shoulder crumpling it up like a piece of paper and literally throwing it off to the side. And I physically, I mean, sometimes, you know, if people saw me in meditation in my house, they'd think, what's going, that girl's crazy. Cause I literally will shake it out. So I will do that. Just you're not invited. The next thing that I do is I do not go into a single day without going into meditation first. I think it's so critically important for all of us to stay very, very grounded on what our vision is and and what is our calling so that as the thousands of things like swirl around every single day that could knock us off our track, that you remember to stay grounded in your purpose and what am I doing so it allows you to navigate sometimes very choppy waters. The third thing I do, which is directly tied to that, is I literally walk around with a sheet of paper that says, what are my top three goals? And I look at what are my top three goals for the year? What are my top three goals for the month? What are my top three goals for the day? And they're always related to, am I serving our community? Are our sales where they need to be? And are we taking care of our investors, our shareholders in the way that we need to? So those are, those are really the top three things there. And then um, the fourth thing I do is, you know, I've got my group of five and I'm, I'm very active in the EBW community of women. Um, but I will say number, that was number four. Number five is, it's interesting because I really... I envision, I'm very, very careful, I'll put it that way, to understand that my work now is only going to get bigger and more public, and my job is to go out and serve the women of the world. With that, though, it's really, really critically important that I surround myself, and it relates to number four, but with um, a spiritual but also a business support system 
that is very aligned from an integrity, transparency, and authenticity standpoint, and that um, I lean on them and they lean on me. And that is very, very important. My, my inner circle now is very small. And I've, I've made it a point to, while I grew up thinking I was this, you know, huge extrovert and I love being out in the public, the reality is um, I then, when I'm complete, I go back to my home, I'm with my husband, I'm with this close circle of people, and these are my advisors and my confidants who guide me through this. Because EBW, I'll always be doing this work, but when we hit our billion women goal by 2020, we're just scratching the surface of what I know I'm called to do for the next step. So I'm laying the groundwork for this global work now, but those are the, those are the specific steps I do to get past that fear that pops up every single day. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, one thing that really strikes out to me with, when I speak to people similar to Ingrid is like how organized, how focused and it's consistent. And it's, you know, like this, like setting up the goals for the week, the day, the month. It's just like fascinates me with people that are so accomplished. They, there's a reason why they become so accomplished because they are so organized, so right. persistent, so focused and so hardworking. And Tala, do you have lists of things to do? I mean, I have like goals and things like that and not daily or weekly but yearly I try to do that and it's hard to stay up with them you know you get so distracted there's so many things I I, like I said I became a mother recently and it's there's so many different things in my life right now and so I really am working hard to figuring out as I'm transitioning to a working mother um to find uh, ways to stay cons- consistent and focused and, and persistent, you right. know, I, I think it's really important to to do that. Otherwise, it's so easy to get distracted. You know? I agree. And I think that being a mother, is, as you were talking about, is even one thing harder. Something you were just saying made me think about this. And the segment that we have done before is called I'm Done With That. And I'll tell the story of how I'm what I'm done with that means is... I was in a shoe department and a young salesperson was showing a 60 something woman these shoes that were like, you know, six inch platforms. And the woman was being very nice and said, you know, they're just not me. And the sales associate kept showing her more and more of these really high platform shoes. And the woman looks at her and puts her hand on the young woman's arm and says, honey, I'm just done with that. And I thought, wow, what are we done with in life? You know, in addition to wearing seven inch high heels when we're in our 60s, what are the things we're done with in life? And I was at an event this morning, a breakfast, and not that you have to be done with clothes and shoes, but this just made me think of it. I was in the elevator, where as I'm getting into the elevator, there are two women who are a little older, probably in their 40s or 50s. There were a lot of younger women there too. And the one woman gets out of the car and and she's like, oh my God, you know, she sees the other woman and she's like, oh my God, my hair is a mess. I should have worn this. I should have done that because the other woman looks a little more together than she did. And so all she's doing is apologizing for how I look. You know, I look this, I should have done this, I should have done this. Then I get in the elevator with three millennials and they're all going through the, I left the, I left in the dark today. I should have worn this. I should have done that. They're probably, you know, they're looking at their hair in the mirror. And I looked at it and I thought, how much time and energy do we spend apologizing mm. for how we look? 
And, I, you know, I don't see men, and maybe they do, I don't see them in the elevator saying, oh, you know, I should have worn my blue shoes today, and mm-hmm. the skirt, I shouldn't have done that. And I thought, we waste sometimes so much time in our own insecurities apologizing for ourselves. So that's yeah. one of the things, and I, I know I probably do it too, right? Because you have those days when you leave the house, and then you get to the event, and everybody's either dressed more than you are, or they're dressed less than you are, and you're not feeling like you fit in, like you missed that memo. And so you're like, you know, fixing yourself the whole entire time versus focusing on what's important. It's not so important that you didn't wear the blue skirt. So I want to throw that out to you all. And I'll start with you, Talib. What are you done with? Oh, so much. <laughs> I am done with um, shallow friendships. I'm really done with wasting my time because I think my time is so valuable at this point in my life. I am now in my early 30s and I I really am not there to just meet as many pop people as possible. So quality friendships are really important to me. When I was younger, in my early 20s or even into my late 20s, I was always trying to have as many people as possible. Every day of the week was busy um, with with different events and, and gatherings and things like that. So one of the things that I'm really done with is is shallow friendships. Um, secondly, I'm done with over like over fixing myself, short skirts, uh, high heels. Um, makeup. And, you know, I really love looking feminine, but there's a sense of confidence that I now have about how I don't need to look sexy. And sexy has has been redefined for me. You know, I find, you know, I can find baggy clothing really sexy and I can feel really sexy in them. But it doesn't have to be that I'm showing a lot of skin or or um, walking in really high ski- heels. And I've I've known you. When you I knew you yeah, when you, you were in your yeah, 20s. I know. That's so and, crazy. And I would you're say really- that you were sexy then, but you're so much sexier and and just more of who you really are. Yeah, I think and so. And I don't think that's abnormal when you're in your 20s, right? You're, you're defining who you are. You're trying to figure out and you're right. trying to fit in. And there's just so many things going on in your 20s. Right. But there's a different level of comfort with you right now. Oh, thank that, you. And I, I really feel it, yes. you know. And uh, I think as we get older, when you're saying about your friendships, I am so much that way. It's... I just don't have the time for the shallowness. Those are business, they're business acquaintances. I go to business. I do things with them. But it's like, do you want to have dinner? No. Yeah. No, it's like, I really don't because I want to spend time with the people who are really important in my life. And Ingrid, what are you done with? <laughs> well, I'm listening to both of you and I'm like, yes, ditto, ditto, ditto. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I will tell you what I'm working on and then I'll tell you a very distinct uh, decision that I made on something that um, and now I, I, it is a practice. So what I'm working on is I'm done being scared. I really am. You know, I, I would, I, I'd love to, and thank you, Taller, for talking about, you know, I come across very confident and I, I really do feel like the secret to confidence, by the way, for anyone listening to this is just, just tell your authentic story, come from who you really are. And that is like there, because then you don't even have to think about being confident. You're simply being who you are. And that confidence just comes through. But I have, you know, back to the earlier questions, those scary moments. And I'm, done with that. And I meditate daily and I'm asking, you know, the, the universe, God, whatever resonates with, with folks that are listening here, but that higher power to really continue to just, just channel through me. You know, I'm here as a servant to what I'm called to do and I'm following what I'm called to do. So just continue to channel that through. And as those feelings of scared, um, or fearfulness come up, you know, practice the five things I said, but just, just soften that up a bit. So I'm done with that. The second thing though, that I made 
made a very clear decision on. I made a very clear decision when I when I uh, started going down the path of empowering a billion women. I am done with um, certainly inauthentic, but people that are not of integrity. I send them well wishes. Um, I know we're all on our journey, but I don't have time and space for anyone who doesn't interact in, especially that inner circle. That is, it just doesn't even resonate. So when I when I see that or I feel it, I simply acknowledge that. I send them well wishes, and then I, I literally just turn and go a different direction. I don't have time for that because the only way that I'll realize this fullest calling, and and I think for. For all of us, what we're all called to do from a divine purposeful standpoint is to live in that total acceptance of your fullest integrity, your fullest authenticity, being fully transparent and walking forward in that faith. And when you do that, you attract people who are like that. And that's how we realize these amazing visions, whether it's raising an amazing child, Tala, that you're doing now, Hmm. whether it's empowering a billion women or you're running for president of the United States or secretary general of the UN, whatever it is, it, it just goes across all, all of that. So that's what I'm complete with. And as we're getting to those final moments, I want to thank you both first for sharing your what you're done with, because I think that they, these are the stories of we're all done with different things in our lives at different times, right? So whether, when you're 20, you're done with things. When you're 30, you're done with things. And I think it's really valuable as we're looking back and saying, what are we done with? It's kind of that what I wish I knew when a bit of just a different way. So Tala, is there anything else that you want to talk about, a story, a mentoring moment you might want to share as we're mm, wrapping know. up? You know, you meant, you talked about faking it until you make it, Ingrid. Mm. I am, you know, that's, that is also a very hard place to be in, right? You said as an entrepreneur, you have to always fake it, fake it until you make it. And, you know, um, it, it, kind of goes a little bit against also like being your authentic self and following your passion. But I I know it can be intertwined. So can you talk a little bit more about that maybe? Yeah. And I'm so glad you asked that question because I think it's a really good point. It's It's a great point. And I think when I say fake it until you make it, that's being your authentic self of stepping into what you've envisioned yourself to become. Because if, if you're not allowing yourself to authentically own what you're called to be, and you, you know, we talked a little bit about, it's so important. You know, I start every day in meditation and I hold that vision of what does this look like? You're living in this, this world that you have envisioned. And then it's key to walk forward in that, in that faith, in a very authentic way that, you know, 99.9% of the people around you are going to say, you know, you're crazy. You don't know what you're doing. This is ridiculous, whatever, whatever. And that doubt, it's like you give one little ounce of that doubt to seep in and it will come really, really hard. And that's where it's just easy to say, you know what? Fake it until you make it. I'm not saying fake it, be in an inauthentic, in a in a, a lack of integrity kind of way. I'm actually saying the exact opposite. Own it. Own who you really are. Don't live in the, you know, the inauthenticity of trying to be somebody that you simply aren't. Step into your fullest, greatest potential, um, your greatest possibility. Walk forward in that faith and you'll attract what you need to, to make that into a manifested reality around you. 
I think that's such a good lesson for young women, uh, myself included. It's really so true. Like, fake it until you make it of following that goal. Right. Like, you have to own it until you actually make it. And then it's easy to, you know, own things because then you already have a repertoire and you're someone and you have a name and you've done things. But really owning things. Right. And stepping into it. Yeah. And not being afraid. Going back to the beginning of this, just not being afraid. Of getting uncomfortable. Yes, of being uncomfortable. (laughs) So I want to thank you both so, so much. Ingrid, I'm blowing you a kiss across across the United States. Yes, you too. Really southwest since you're in Texas. And I'm hugging Tala because I just, mm, she's my Tala. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you all so much for having me. I love being here. And uh, again, truly honored. Have a wonderful day. It's been great. Thanks. You too. too. Bye. 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 Thanks so much for joining me today. And to get mentoring moments the moment it's available, which is every Wednesday, please subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review and check out show notes on Forbes.com. I'd love to hear what you think about being comfortable with the uncomfortable. Have you ever duded up? I mean, even if you didn't change your looks, have you ever done that where you duded up, where you changed your appearance? Tweet me about that for sure. And what are you done with? So you can find me on Twitter at Denise Rastari. Until next week, keep sharing your stories because your stories matter. Download new episodes of Mentoring Moments every Wednesday at podcastone.com, forbes.com, the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe at iTunes. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Everybody loves honey glazed carrots, a great side dish for your springtime celebration, and a delicious compliment to a sweet, bright Moscato. Your Bloody Mary bar will be the talk of brunch with the vodka I'm stalking. Pile those toppings sky high. Serving lamb this season? Try it with a bold Cabernet from the trendy Paso Robles region. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine and More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. London police have arrested Julian Assange on extradition charges to the United States, as well as for violating his bail. Assange is accused of publishing classified documents through WikiLeaks. In 2010, he told Sky News he was worried about what the U.S. might do to him. The United States recently has shown that its institutions seem to be failing. Uh, They are failing to follow the rule of law. And with dealing with a superpower... It does not appear to be following, following the rule of law. It is a serious business. He also said in 2010 the U.S. officials had threatened him and those associated with him. There has been many calls by senior political figures uh, in the United States, uh, including elected ones in the Senate, uh, for my execution, uh, the kidnapping of my staff. Edward Snowden, the former security contractor who leaked classified information about U.S. surveillance programs, says the arrest of Assange is a blow to media freedom. I'm Rita Foley.